What are the secrets of those extraordinary individuals that have achieved extraordinary success? Listen to their stories, discover their knowledge bursts, make those connections. Get ready. It's time to start moving forward. Hey, John Lim here. We've got a great episode today. We're moving forward with Cole Zucker. He's co-CEO at Green Creative, a light lighting manufacturer focusing on energy and cost-efficient LED products. If you've ever walked through a Walmart, Whole Foods, or J. Crew store, then you have a direct connection to Kohl's since that aisle or product you were looking at was probably lit by Green Creative. How are you today, Cole? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, no. Thank you so much. You have a really, really interesting background, and I want to start out with this. So tell our listeners what you majored in in college. I majored in finance. Yes. And what kind of was the, the impetus for you to, to start there? Well, when I think back to when I was a kid and figuring out what I wanted to do from just in my life in general – um, money was something I always wanted to make and watching old movies and TV shows about wall street, uh, made it seem as though it was a very sexy, uh, mm-hmm. place to be. Mm-hmm. And so finance seemed to be the natural starting point. And so to fill in the rest. I mean, so how did you go from finance major in college to becoming an entrepreneur and an innovator in, you know, led products? Well, I think the first thing that you need to do is figure out who you are and who you're capable of becoming. Yes. And in terms of which track to take, uh, you need to know what your skill set is. And I had thought that I would be great within the corporate world. I had visualized this as far as my future. And in starting this finance track and going into um, New York, as a matter of fact, working for a, uh, a finance company in Prudential Securities where I was sitting – and doing a lot of quant work, uh, which is pretty much how you start in that field. It seemed to me as though this was the place I would be, I would stay, and the place I would be successful. Um, That was in theory, but it wasn't until the application and having to start working at this company that I realized, actually, I have no business being uh, in this industry. So tell us a little bit about that moment. I think I went through that moment working in the corporate world. Tell us for our listeners what that was like for you and what led you to that epiphany. Well, getting to the office every day was quite restrictive. The reason being because I felt like I had no control over my life. I mean, there was a track that you could follow. And as long as you were happy with where your boss was, that would be the way that you would go to get there. And in my opinion, looking at my boss, I realized that I actually wasn't interested in uh, having that life maybe 5, 10, 15 years in the future. And I realized that one of my passions, something that was overwhelming me every single day was my, uh, I would consider it my my love of uh, the Chinese language. Even though my Chinese at the time was terrible, it was something Mm -hmm. that just struck a chord with me, just resonated with me and excited me. And so I was taking classes on the side while working in New York for this uh, finance company and every time I would take these classes and realize I could apply what I learned and speak to people, um, even though it was very, very poor and very, very low in terms of my level, it was still exciting and it was an outlet. And I realized that at some point that I should pursue this on a full-time basis by moving to China because that would be a uh, better track to move towards just because that was where my passion 
uh, was. That was where my energy flowed. That was what was exciting to me. Wow. So t- tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you finance is an extremely demanding career track, especially if you're working in a place like New York. And yet you're carving out the time to pursue this passion that you had. And then it led you to, so talk about what happened. Did you quit your job and move to China? How did that all come about? So it was a blessing in disguise. Uh, I actually was laid off from the job, um, mm-hmm. performance related, because I was really not good enough to uh, survive in that, uh, that, that world, that, that existence. Um, the things that I was required to do in terms of putting numbers into models, in terms of uh, watching and reporting on specific companies, it was just stuff that I wasn't very interested in, and it showed. Uh, my work wasn't good. I didn't have a sense of ownership in anything I did. I really didn't care what the results were one way or another, if my performance was great, if it was bad. And that's something for anybody. If you don't care about what you do and you don't see a step forward, then clearly that's a place that you shouldn't be. Yeah. And un- I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, that decision was not made for myself. It was made by my bosses who said, uh, you're not cut out for the job. And mm. uh, it was a very painful day, the day that I was let go. But it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me because it somehow forced my hand and made me sit back and realize, what do I want to do with my life? Of course, being 22, your options are uh, uh, really anything because uh, at that point, you can have a lot of flexibility in your career. And it just seemed to make sense. All signs were pointing to China. Even though it seemed like it was a risky uh, decision to make, it was a decision that I felt would yield the greatest results or the greatest return, so to speak. Let's back up a little bit because what you went through, and I have a lot of friends who've gone through that, it can be devastating, especially starting out, you you thought this is the career I want to be in, and then all of a sudden to be told by your boss – hey, you know what? You're not cut out for this. I mean, talk a little bit about that. I mean, what was that experience like for you? And when did you start to see it as a blessing in disguise? The Really, the, the first day that I started the job, I realized that things were going to be a bit tumultuous because mm-hmm. I was looking around and there was a whole management class of people. And it just felt like I was different. I felt like I was more free, that I wanted to do greater things, not in terms of the finance track, but just my ambition was was a bit was a bit focused more on where am I going to be 15, 20 years from now and how right. can I really impact myself and the world as much as I possibly can, whereas everybody was kind of really just focusing on the position. They were more in the present where I was really focused on what can I be, how do I unlock my potential? And I think that was a part of me saying, this is not the job for me. This is not what I'm interested in. And I was already starting to look elsewhere. So day one is kind of where I realized that this was possibly not going to be a fit. They did do an exercise where I had to go and do research on a company and make a decision. And it turned out the decision that I made was the fully the wrong outcome. And I was told that, that I need to really get, improve the way I analyze these these companies if I were to uh, have the job security. And so really my confidence was shaken mm. quite, quite soon in the position. And then in terms of the, the, the day that I was let go, the thing that, that really upset me the most, I kind of knew it was going to happen in the sense that I knew my performance was, was, was poor. I'd gotten an annual review and it was saying, of course, on every level I need to improve. But we started out with this management 
class. So all these graduates from all around the country who are the same age and everyone knew that I was let go. And uh, it was embarrassing. And from you know, a confidence perspective, it, 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 it really rattled me. And yeah. so the next step naturally was to see if I can continue lo- looking for another job and something within New York so that I wouldn't have to really completely blow up my life, even though China was still the option that, that was getting louder and louder, that drumbeat was sounding every single day. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to you know, confirm that there were no other options and within New York. So I interviewed for a number of positions, one of them being in uh, very much uh, uh, back office jobs uh, roles. And I knew after seeing that the things I would be doing in terms of payroll processing and just these, these these jobs where it was day in, day out, doing the same thing over and over again, that that I was going to struggle and I needed to get out from under the uh, uh, environment that I had built um, within that past year. Wow. And so that was what motivated me to say, okay, I'm going to roll the dice and move to China and hopefully see how things go. So what, so what did you do when you moved to China? What was? Did you have a plan, or uh, did you decide I'm just gonna see where the path takes me and just take it day by day? As soon as I moved to China, I felt like I had total freedom, mm-hmm. but I also felt like I had this responsibility over myself to put myself in the greatest position possible. And being a year out of college, you know, when you're in college, it's very defined. You do this, this, and this, and then this should be the results that are yielded. When you're out of college, you start to realize that. Uh, just showing up, you're not going to get uh, uh, credit. And, and um, on my side, when I was in, in, in Shanghai, I didn't have a job. I had limited funds, uh, I should say savings actually, and I needed to make sure that was going to last as long as possible. And that required me getting a job as fast as I possibly could. So at that point, it was a bit of a sink or swim type of situation. And I just went all out to find uh, any job that would hire me. Yeah. And so share with our listeners, what were some of the the jobs that you got while you were in China? I actually only worked for one company in China, and that was for a lighting manufacturer. And the way I got the job was just mining connections and trying to see people or find people who knew others in China who would potentially hire me. And so when I first moved, I thought I would work for maybe Deloitte or KPMG or one of the Mm -hmm. big consulting companies, the ones that I was interviewing for when I was in college because of the finance background. But going to these places and showing up into the lobby and asking random foreigners who I saw walking around in the buildings who I figured were working there, uh, giving them my resume and asking them to help me find a job there, yielding the results that I was hoping for, meaning mm-hmm. they were not helping at all. Yeah. So at that point, uh, you know, I kind of got a friend that had another friend um, who finally just reached out and called me one day and said, I heard you're looking for a job. Come come see me. And I went. I interviewed. They told me the job would be in Chinese, that I'd be the first foreign hire, that every single day would be working within a very local environment. And really, without even discussing the uh, salary component, I said, where do I sign? Wow. Because that was exactly what I was looking for, something that was completely different from what I'd been doing in New yeah. York and something that would very be very immersive and mind-stretching. What did you do for this lighting company starting out? So I was a project manager. They, What happened in kind of the year before I started the job was that China passed all these measures where they were trying to force large multi-planet build uh, more R&D facilities all throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And so I started just as this law went into effect and just as all the 
major uh, multi St. Johnson's and Glaxo decline and uh, you name it, you know, the, the, the top guys um, were building like crazy. It was just gangbusters. And so we were doing jobs, uh, installs all around the country of different types of building materials, the focus being on lighting, which is very random. Mm-hmm. And I was going out, interfacing with customers, uh, flying around to different trying to do sales and trying to essentially bridge the divide between my company and so uh, kind of like a key account manager but someone who had uh, the responsibility of overseeing the entire sales cycle um, that's what I, what I did for about three years oh that's great and uh, so tell us what happened after that so you went to China you got a job in an industry that you never I mean you never obviously never imagined this is what you would end up doing but obviously it had an impact on you so talk about that and how that led you to founding or co-founding Green Creative Great question. So when I when I first moved to China, my mom told me I have to come come back here. She didn't want me going out for so long, mm-hmm. and she really didn't want me to stay there for uh, decades, as uh, some expats do when they when they move and you know they fall in love with the country or they get married or something happens and then they stay there for a long time. So it was in my mind that I kind of needed to get back at some point, and I was actually uh, in terms of you know what I like to do and who I am, I didn't feel like China would be my ultimate destination in terms of my life. I thought it would be more of a chapter. And so within the first two years, I was thinking of how do I figure out an exit strategy? Not that I was unhappy. I just knew that at some point I wanted to get back to the U.S. Right. And I tried a couple of things in terms of uh, looking at opportunities that might bring me back, some very small entrepreneurial ideas. None of them really stuck, but still thinking and thinking, trying to figure out what would be the most ideal way to get me back to the U.S. And uh, funny enough, uh, while trying to figure out what I was going to do or how I was going to do it, uh, LED um, came on the scene, became more of a relevant technology in the market. And uh, we started to see myself and uh, my venture business partner that the volumes were going to be gigantic and that this wave was about to happen where all lighting technologies of the day, such as fluorescent and incandescent and halogen lighting was going to be replaced by this new incumbent technology this new technology which is led and before product within china it was all fluorescent but then the fact started saying try selling led it's more relevant the price point is better and there was a lot more pressure to sell this. so that forced me to spend more time looking at what kind of opportunities there would be to bring this technology to the u.s not that it wasn't in the u.s but the penetration rate was probably 0.1% when I started to look at the opportunity, which was sometime in 2009. And uh, given the fact that we saw the trends and what was going to happen, that we would eventually get to 100% over um, you know, a 15 to 20 year period, that you know, myself and my business partner, we kind of knew that this was going to be the uh, opportunity that would uh, potentially, if executed correctly, you know, not just bringing me back to the U.S., but be very successful. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. And obviously, you have been very successful with it. So tell me, Cole, what is your big why? The big why. So for anybody that wants to make money, personal money, I think that the chances of success is extremely low. Mm -hmm. The reason why I started this company with my business partner was really looking at my boss, and this is my boss from New York, my boss from the, the company I was working for in China, I felt like the amount of work and effort that I did on a daily basis did not completely translate into 
the amount of money I should have made. Mm -hmm. And that was a direct result of I was working for somebody. And of course, there's less risk. Um, There are great benefits of of having uh, a stable job. And especially if you do have a family where, you know, you have responsibilities and commitments to go out and do your own thing is is, is very risky. It's very dangerous because the uh, ultimate uh, repercussions could be you lose a house or you're, right. I mean, God forbid, in a terrible situation. But on my side, uh, I was single, I was young, I was hungry, aggressive, and I had time. And I knew that if I had focused and been determined and persistent with what I was doing or was going to do, that, yeah, I could do it. And so the big why was got to work for myself and put the control squarely in my hands. That's awesome. And really, really, I love that you're sharing both sides of it in terms of the risks and the rewards. So Cole, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you face today as we're speaking on this interview? The biggest challenge. So we sold the business to a private equity fund about uh, six months ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been in the process of integrating our business with another business. So even though we've sold to private equity, they uh, own uh, the majority of the shares. We're still, myself and my business partner, uh, very much uh, invested into the business and managing the business and uh, on the day-to-day. So when it comes to the biggest challenges, and not to say that uh, it's something that would be a risk, but on a day-to-day basis, we're focused on integrating our company with another company to create a platform of uh, lighting products. And so our goal is to uh, make both companies into one, essentially, and build it into a very significant organization, more significant than the, the two parts, um, and make them uh, a combined entity that can be very, very successful. So every single day, we're working on this merger, and uh, that is, in terms of today's challenge, the thing that we focus most of our efforts on. And uh, I'd like to you know, say it has been very successful so far oh, that both great. our company, yeah, I mean, in a lot of cases, there's a lot of risk inherent in any type of uh, uh, merger acquisition. But fortunately for us, the other team has been amazing and we get along great and we all are mu- very much aligned in uh, the future success of both organizations as a whole. No, that's fantastic. And I know having worked for a big company, that acquisitions, you've got a lot of moving parts. You've got a lot of your meshing cultures. You, I mean, you're really spinning a lot of plates. So share with our listeners, what is one important lesson that you've learned having gone through this process of you know merging with a different company and trying to build a platform? I think that when it comes to the importance of being successful within a platform and, and, and a merger, knowing how to balance all the different types of personalities. And that's on a top and you know bottom level yes. uh, approach. So when it comes to the management teams, you have people whose roles are shifted. Some are becoming minimized. Some are becoming enhanced. Um, you have uh, entrepreneurs that are used to doing what they want. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, there's more of a process behind any decision that needs to be made. And when it comes to the uh, different departments within the organizations, there's a lot more communication that needs to be had. And there can be some confusion in terms of who's going to do what and when um, and, and so forth. So making sure that you're able to have the best lines of communication possible, that you're able to bounce all the different personalities and figure out an organizational structure that will be best success, be most successful 
so that if there is an issue, it can be figured out very quickly as opposed to things being internalized until it's too late. You know, this is something that's quite critical. I know it's all somewhat abstract, but this is this is the most important thing. So I say uh, communication and then making sure that you have the perfect uh, definition of roles or as near perfection as you possibly can within the org structure so that everyone knows what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And then, of course, one last thing I think that's important yes. to address is feedback. Mm, you know, yes. you can't just say this is how it's going to be and be unwilling to be flexible if it's not working. Making sure that you're able to assess and address any types of issues that would occur throughout this transitional process, um, that's critical as well. Awesome. Really, really great share. Paul, are you ready for the Knowledge Burst session? I was born ready. All right, let's do it. We're going to have some fun, and I'm actually going to switch it up. I'm excited to have you because you've had such an interesting background. So I'm going to start off with this. What is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning that makes the difference for the entire day? I go for a run. Yeah. This is very important to me. This is my own form of meditation. It allows me to zone out, feel really good, and uh, think very clearly for the rest of the day. So if I don't go for a run, um, I'll try to maybe go for a bike ride maybe swim, but doing something physical, um, that's to me uh, a critical part after I wake up. Love it. What is one habit or practice that you follow, which goes completely against conventional wisdom, but works really well for you? I would say sleep, like five hours a night. Yeah. And so most people would say you, you need at least a good seven to eight hours. And why does five hours a night work for you? I've just been doing it for so long. <laughs> when, when I feel like, you know, for, for me, it's like, when I go to bed, I'm super excited about waking up the next day. Yeah. And as a result, I like to minimize the amount of time I sleep and maximize the time I'm awake. Name one small activity or choice that you're going to make today. It can either be something you did this morning, something uh, you know that you're thinking about now, or after our interview. Name one activity or choice you're going to make to move forward. So one of the things that I do on an almost daily basis is – a journal, and mm -hmm. I write about how things are going, uh, what makes me happy, what's working, what's not in my life, and just assessing uh, what I need to do in order to move forward. So journal, journaling, even if it takes you know five minutes and only yeah. a few sentences, this is something that I like to do that, that helps me to move forward. I think that's great advice. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, you can find links to many of the books and resources mentioned by today's guest, along with offers to try out Audible and Amazon Prime. These are affiliate links for which I receive a small commission, which helps the podcast and is greatly appreciated. You can find these on the write-up for today's episode at bemovingforward.com. Nicole, are you ready to do a little time travel? Sure. All right, we're going to step into a time machine. We're going to travel ahead five years. Tell me about Cole five years from today. Just a constant improvement. Every single day, even if it feels like the improvement, the progress is slow, a lot of times when you look back after a year, you say, I can't believe how much has changed. And so trying to be you know, the better version of myself on a daily basis, this is as much as I can do, uh, at least within my own limitations. What do I look like? What does that look like for me? Mm -hmm. Hopefully I have a family. Hopefully uh, one of the goals that I put down is to be a competitive runner. And I would love to uh, see if I can get into the time trials, at least get an invitation there for the marathon. So there's a lot of things that I put to, down on paper that I would consider to be you know, reach goals, stretch goals in the future that 
may or may not come true. But as long as I know that I've done my best to try to accomplish them, if I don't get to where that, that those goals are or exceed them, then I'm still happy. Awesome. Really, really great share. Well, Cole, how can our listeners connect with you and learn about all the fantastic work you're doing? Great question. So the best way to reach out to me is on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. My name is Cole Zucker, so it should be pretty easy to find me with the search box. You can reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook. I mean, any of the uh, social media platforms, uh, you could, should be able to find me. Uh, fantastic. We'll have all of those listed on the write-up. Well, Cole, I'd love to have you close out the show. So share some parting wisdom with our Moving Forward listeners. The most important thing, if you're looking to be successful or to do something entrepreneurial, make sure that it's something that you're good at. I know that people say if you do what you love, you never feel like you're working any day of your life. The truth is if you do what you're really good at, you'll see great progression. And as a result, that'll make you happy as well. So that would be it. That's really great advice. Cole, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your super busy schedule. And I also want to give a special shout out to Sandy Grigsby, our mutual friend who connected us. Thank you so much for sharing your incredible story and some great knowledge bursts so that our listeners can move forward. Thank you very much, John. Absolutely. And check it out, Moving Forward listeners, one more time, bemovingforward.com. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, at bemovingforward. Join us next Tuesday for another extraordinary guest. Have a great week. And remember, always be moving forward. Now it's time for you to move forward and unlock the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and Bali Solutions, LLC. All rights reserved.